Welcome to Critical Issues Commentary, the podcast ministry of Gospel of Grace Fellowship, a non-denominational Christian church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. This is Jessica Kramis, your host for today, and I'm speaking with Bob DeWay, Gospel of Grace's teacher and theologian and author of Critical Issues Commentary. In this series, we are discussing Dutch Sheets' book, Intercessory Prayer. Now, last week, we were talking about how he defines biblical revelation and his claim that it originates from the heart. We're going to pick up with that again today, but you just kind of want to recap what he's saying when he uses the phrase biblical revelation? Yes, and that's what we want to key in on because it's changes everything. Yes. Okay. What he means, biblical revelation, it's something that happens within the person reading the Bible. Right. Okay. So the, the, I would say the Bible is God's revelation to man. Right. Objectively. Yes. She takes that to the subjective and he gives examples how certain people didn't uh, use the Bible correctly, and he uses that to diminish the idea that the Scriptures are the revelation of God, and we'll see how he does that, and then suggests that we need to do some process in order to get the revelation. Yes. Okay. Now, we covered this last week, but just to make sure listeners have it kind of in the back of their mind, Here's what he says. This is page 181, continues on page 182. Information is of the mind. Biblical revelation, however, involves and affects the mind, but originates in the heart. Spiritual power is only released through revelation knowledge. So now we have biblical revelation originating with us and not God and his word. Yes, uh, that's... Yeah, interestingly, in the 20th century, that would be considered liberalism. Okay. True liberalism is just flat out unbelief, but neo-orthodoxy, we'll get into that today, was what liberalism went to, sort of the blind leap of faith. The Bible has what it actually says. We can't trust to be true because it makes claims like there were miracles, and we know there are none. That's the neo-orthodox. But we take a blind leap. Well, of course, Dutch Sheets and the Charismatics and the Word of Faith people would reject that idea because they believe in miracles. But they're doing the same thing with the Bible. Okay. The Bible isn't the Word of God. It becomes the Word of God when you have a secondary subjective experience. All right. That's an important distinction. Right. And that's and so in some ways, liberalism and this hyper-highest version of speak the word into existence or make decrees, they meet in in a weird way. Okay. Okay. Whereas the true doctrine is that the Bible is the word of God. And what's lacking is either studying it so we understand what it says or faith in what it says. Right. The problem is unbelief. Yes. Okay. So he misdiagnoses the problem and then creates a false solution, which is going to the subjective realm. Furthermore, what you just read there is a false dichotomy. I don't remember what I may mean, have said about this the last time we recorded, but 
the dichotomy between the mind and the heart is a false one. Right. Last week, we showed how God deals with us as whole people. We, as a whole person, are lost and as a whole person are saved. Right. And so that's a false claim in and of itself. Okay. When someone's heart turns away from the Lord, that means the whole person does, including their mind. Right. So, again, this creating some sort of a spiritual anatomical approach to things, dividing the heart from the mind as if they are two different things, is totally false and unbiblical. Okay. But then we would expect what does she teaches to be unbiblical, because he doesn't believe the Bible is actually the Word of God as it is. Right. And this part, part of what made this particular chapter a little bit difficult is he uses words that we use, but he does not use them in the same way or has an idea that is similar, but he uses it differently. And so one example here, information, this is page 182, information can come immediately, but revelation is normally a process. Uh, So that does kind of go back to what you were saying about believing that the Bible becomes the word of God through this process. The more I thought about it, you know, revelation is instantaneous, but understanding is sometimes a process. And again, the problem is in us, not with God's word. Yes. Again, when I read that, even though Chiefs would consider himself a conservative, as a matter of fact, his beliefs are very similar to the liberals like Brian McLaren. Right. And so today I was, I went back and I looked up the article I wrote about McLaren's uh, when he wrote this book called Generous Orthodoxy. Okay. He believes in a process too. Yes. And he thinks that us dolts who just study the Bible and believe that it's God's word to us and that we can know it are uh, deceived and deluded. And then he goes off into these ways that the Bible becomes the Word of God. And in his case, you kind of look around and see what God's doing and what the kingdom of God looks like and the process that may be happening out here in the world. You get part of that, and eventually you come up with something that is a generous orthodoxy. Now with sheets, you go to an internal pietistic approach. Right. And his approach has everything to do with getting personal words from God and extra biblical revelation. Right. And that's typical of pietists. Yeah. Okay. So, information. Well, okay. So, using that term information is uh, used to make the scriptures as they are uh, to be described in a derogatory way. Okay. So you have the Bible, and you may really read it and understand, say, a chapter of it. Yeah. We talked about that last time. We went into the context. Well, that's just information. Uh, yeah, that's what no, they say. I, that's not how the Bible describes it. It's the very Word of God. Right. Okay. When Moses went up on Sinai, uh, and God gave him the ten words that were written on stone by the very finger of God, Okay, and there was an awesome theophany happening at the same time. 
the words that were given are indeed the word of God. Right. The problem isn't that the words are not meaningful until we go into some revelatory process. The problem is the people at the base of Sinai uh, didn't like what God said. They were they they were impatient. Right. What did Moses hasn't come back down? Let's make this golden calf. Yeah. Okay, so is it that hard to understand the actual words? No. Thou shalt not steal, according to King James. Yeah. Is that so uh, contrived and confused that you may have to go into some meditative process that may take a long time looking to get a revelation? And then eventually when you get the revelation, which thou shalt not steal, that's not a revelation, even though God wrote it on stone. It's a process. and That's just information. Yeah. Okay, so... What you come up with may be, who, what are you going to come up with? Right. It, you know. Oh, rationalization, why you can take people's money. Right. Well, and they do that. I know. <laughs> so send your money and get your miracle. I'm not saying Sheets is claiming that, but sure, a lot of people in that ilk do. Right. And they use the testimonials to prove it. Yep. Or get your healing if you do things a certain way. Okay, uh, dear listeners, the Bible is the word of God, and that's the very claim Jesus Christ made. Yes, and it is God's revelation to us. Yes, and the people that would play games with that end up using tricks with words to make us think we can't trust what the Bible actually says. Okay. So uh, the fact is that the Bible means what it says, and the problem is unbelief, not the fact that the Bible uses rational processes of words chosen by God, spoken validly to human beings so that we can understand them, and it's binding upon us because if we rebel against the very words of God, we are making ourselves God's enemies, are facing, facing his wrath. Yes. Now, because of that, when I debated with a with a uh, emergent person who's, again, different version of this, but it's doing the same thing, which was that Doug Padgett. Okay. On the PowerPoint, I looked, I put on there John 12, 48. All right. And the reason I did that was that their claim is, you need a secondary revelation or some process to get involved with before the Bible becomes the Word of God, which is very similar to what Dr. Cheese is doing. But let me yeah. just read John 12, 48. I put that on a slide, and it really, I think it's stunned. The place was packed. Yeah. The most people we ever had in that particular building. Yeah. And... uh Here's what it says. He was claiming we have to get involved with the process. We can't be sure. People with bad motives are telling you they know what the Bible means, according to Emergent, and they have bad motives. They're wanting to force you to do what they say, and they tell you they know what the Bible means, but really this is a group process that we feel 
and get involved with. Right. I I remember the word I'll never forget from that was speeching. Speeching. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, One of his books has uh, some people on a sofa and this overbearing preacher with a megaphone yelling at them. Yeah. They don't like people telling them what God said. So now that's certainly a different version of this, but it, it comes from the same air. Okay. Okay. Let me read John 12, 48. He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings as one who judges him, the word I spoke is what will judge him at the last day. That's John 12, 48. Okay. Now, the claim is the Bible as it is, or in this case, Jesus is speaking words understandable to those who heard it and chosen by him in valid human languages cannot really communicate. Okay. They just give impressions. Yes. So then at the debate, I said, well, if we can't really understand what God said, now Jesus is God incarnate speaking, and they don't believe that there's a future judgment coming. Okay. How can these words, which we can't understand without some secondary experience, be the basis of judging us on the last day? Right. The place was literally stunned. Yeah. Because that, John 12, 48, invalidates the entire emergent movement. Absolutely. But it it also applies here. So Dutch Sheets says, and this is page 182 again, knowledge or information alone, which is what humans have glorified and where they have begun their quest for meaning ever since the fall, does not produce salvation. Now, there's kind of a lot to unpack there, but whenever anyone is saved, it has to start with the preaching of the word of God. (laughs) The knowledge and the information has to be there It alone does not produce salvation. There has to be regeneration. But he's going into this whole other thing where you have to figure out how to unveil this to the unbeliever rather than just letting the preaching of the gospel speak for itself. Right. So immersion is one thing. Our idea of salvation, they don't even accept. Right. Salvation from God's wrath and there's coming judgment. Yep. I'm not sure where Sheets and company are with that, but I assume they have some version of future judgment. Uh, but their approach to the Bible is the same. Right. Rather than the Bible being the word of God, it needs some secondary process to become the word of God. But that's not what the Bible itself says about itself. And it's not what Paul said about the scriptures and salvation in Romans chapter 10. I can't remember if we covered that last time or not. But uh, the gospel is given by God and designed for the salvation of human beings. Right. So no one can say, well, who's going to go and bring it to us? The word is here. Uh it's it's clear, it's designed for human beings. The thing that causes humans to reject the gospel is a hardened heart. Right. 
and an unwillingness to listen to God. Yes. Like the Hebrews at Sinai. Okay. The 10 words were clear enough. They just didn't like them. They thought they'd have a better outcome if they just went back to Egypt. Yes. Every time that comes up, I always think of the Keith Green song, Eating Leeks and Onions by the Nile. I think of that song, too. I guess even though I'm quite a bit older, we remember that Keith Green song. Oh, so you want to go back to Egypt where you were warm and secure. (laughs) Boy, things were good. (laughs) Yeah, everything was pretty good there. So, of course, they conveniently forgot that they cried out in their misery when they were there asking God to deliver them. Yeah. Deliver us from this Pharaoh. It's awful. And they get out there. Oh, God is not giving us what we need. Maybe it would be better back there. So that's the fickleness of humans. But the problem is not the word of God. The problem is not the promises of God. The problem is not that God doesn't really mean what he says. The problem is unbelief. Yes. It's clear enough. We don't like it. Yeah. Okay. And the same goes with uh, salvation. The gospel is clear. Yes. Okay. And the fact is that we need to proclaim it as God intended us to. And it's the work of God that penetrates hearts and brings salvation. It's a miracle. And right. there's no secondary thing that we can do that's going to cause some particular person to be saved. Yep. And it seems to me throughout this chapter that he keeps kind of equivocating on this biblical revelation. And in a lot of ways, when he's mentioning this, what he's thinking is some sort of new revelation is actually regeneration. And an example of this on page 183, he's speaking about the gospel. Unbelievers are sure to reject it unless they receive a biblical revelation. No, they're sure to reject it unless they're born again. Yeah, unless they're regenerated. That Okay, this not everybody will like this, but I got to tell you the truth about this. Okay. The reason people are deceived by Sheets and Company is they've rejected often the doctrine of election. Right. Okay, so they don't believe God ever elected anybody. We elect ourselves or however, I don't know how they, I've read about everybody's workarounds so they don't have to accept all the passages in the Bible about an election. Yeah. They're out there. Mm-hmm. But they don't really, they're not grounded next to Jesus any more than Sheets is. Yep. Okay. Just read the book of Acts. Right. And you'll see. The what... Lord opened Lydia's heart to be saved, or all right. who were appointed unto eternal life were saved. Yeah, and then when people rebelled, they brushed off the dust and went down to the next town and preached the gospel. Yeah. Who plot responds is by God's grace. It's still morally culpable thing to reject the gospel, and it's still praiseworthy to to God that some come to him and we want to see that it's honorable to come to God, but it's by his grace, we give him the glory. Right. So you take a theology with no doctrine of election, no supernatural regeneration, unless God, unless man does something first to cause that to happen as if we could regenerate ourselves. And then you end up with this process that Dutch sheets has. 
Yes. Now, the one example Pastor Eric likes to use that I think is is actually really very helpful is the narrative of Lazarus. And and as Pastor <laughs> Eric would say, he was dead in the grave. He was a three-dayer or a four-dayer. He was stinking yeah, it he up. he was stinking things up. Yeah, so he's laying there dead. And this is a picture of salvation. Jesus calls Lazarus up out of the tomb, but unless Jesus first regenerates him, Lazarus cannot respond to the call to come up out of the tomb. He has to be made alive again so that he can respond to the call. And it's the same with salvation. We have to be made spiritually alive so that we can respond to the gospel in faith and repentance. Right. And so the means God uses to do that is the preaching of the gospel. Yes. We preach the gospel to all people. We don't know who the elect are. God doubts. Right. So we preach to everyone. Sometimes someone who's the most hardened anti-Christian person is the one who becomes converted. Right. Okay, like Saul of Tarsus. Yes. And so there's such resistance to this because people think, well, if I believe that, then I'm going to stuck being this liturgical Calvinist and all the bad things that associated with the institutional Calvinism that they that has certainly has lots of problems. I don't agree with the institutional church, period. Right. Okay, the church is a living organism, not an institution perpetuated by man and his programs. Okay. Okay. But they don't want that, so they think you got to go to something else, which ends up being, um, how would you say, very weak and vulnerable, because you're only believing the parts of the Bible that don't touch on God's sovereignty and his work of regeneration sovereignly and the doctrine of election. And therefore, you end up with whole chunks of the Bible you can't believe. Right. And I don't know how you even can believe in Abraham and the promises given to Abraham if you don't believe in the doctrine of election. Yes. But that when I was reading these two pages here, I put those notes. I just thought his real problem is he doesn't believe in the doctrine of election. Right. So it's like I'm going to elect somebody by focusing on that person and doing all these processes we've talked about. Yeah. Until eventually they get saved. And so I think that's rather ironic because when I've debated people who reject election, they think that God would be doing something wrong if he saved a person who was hostile to him through supernatural monergistic grace that comes to them, but they don't mind going through some process themselves that would get the same result if they're controlling it. Yeah. So... It doesn't even add up. So, dear ones, before you get angry and say, well, all right, we're not going to, can't listen to them anymore because they believe uh, that God actually elects anybody. I would suggest that you're going to have a lot of problems because you're going to end up with scripture after scripture you don't like. Yep. You don't need to join a denomination. You don't need to join something from church history. You simply need to believe what the Bible says. Right. And then what we end up with is the same people are saved that are hearing the gospel, and God gets the glory 
and we have a foundation to stand on that we don't need to add anything. We can preach the word of God. We can preach the gospel every Sunday or every to everyone that would uh, we would be able to discuss this with and trust God for the results. Right. And you don't end up falling into this trap of, because you have kind of the, the seeker version of, well, we got to make this appealing to the unbeliever, or you can have the emotionally manipulative altar call, give your life to Christ version of it. Or you can have the charismatic Dutch sheets version where you have to get revelations from God about how to reach this person and how to tear down strongholds and what demon they're under and all of the things that go with that. And what we're going to come to in a few weeks, he makes us personally responsible for birthing true repentance in other people. Well, yeah, we're in charge of everything in that scheme of things, but I would just challenge it. I know a lot of people believe some version of that, and uh, that's why they, they're often confused. Yes. But if you take the key events in salvation history, you just go back through the Bible. If you've been a Christian long enough to have read the Bible and know what at least the main ideas that to lead us to where we are in the New Testament, it's interesting that every case is an exception. Right. They think there's some process that we do that we end up with this result. But okay. if you just go back through the main people, Abraham. Yeah. Okay. Was Abraham sitting in Earl of the Chaldees thinking, I'm sick of my people and my plan, and I think I should go start a people? No. No, Yahweh appeared to him. Well, what yeah. go back before that? Go back to Noah. Right. Okay. Uh, Noah Rick Warren, he says God Noah made God smile. Yeah. But the Bible says Noah found grace. Right. No one had ever seen a flood. Every case, if you look at Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, ultimately Moses. Right. Case after case, God took the initiative, appeared to someone, and changed them and used them. Okay, how about David? Was David the shepherd boy sitting no. in the field thinking, boy, yeah. right. I think I'll pick God and lead a nation? And So you go to the big stories, the big mm -hmm. events, as I said. Yeah. Then go to the New Testament, go with Saul of Tarsus. Yeah. Okay. He didn't gradually warm up because he heard the organ playing during the altar call. Right. He went with violent hostility to destroy Christians. Yes. And God sovereignly intervened. So let me challenge everyone with this one. If that's how the big events happened in the Bible, the key characters that are mentioned throughout the Bible, why would you think that somehow in our ordinary lives it's going to be some different way? Right. Now... I, I think it's important, too, to also look at the smaller ones. Read through the beginning of John. Were they mending their nets looking for Jesus, or did Jesus come find them? Right. Uh, I don't remember which one it was that was sitting under the tree. 
I mean, there, there's just, there's so many pictures of this. The question I guess I would ask you if I were on the other side would be, okay, what about the Ethiopian eunuch who was searching the scriptures? How, how would you, how would you clarify what happened there? Well, God sent someone out to him. Exactly. We, God knows who the elect are. We just don't. Right. Not and, in advance. We don't know until somebody responds. And we know it was a miracle because then that person disappears again, too. Right. And the, this is continual in the scripture. So you take that plus all of the passages. When I debated Greg Boyd, the open theist, who was about as big an enemy to the doctrine of election as you're going to find. Yeah. Uh, he mocks Romans 8.28. I've heard him do it on the radio. So he wants God not in control of things so that um, God can somehow get off the hook for the problem of evil. So I debated him in a in a, about 4,000 people at a big public event. And none of his doctrine is based on exegesis. Right. It, we it, it was philosophy. Sheets. It's all philosophy. Yes. So, and I still have those on my computer. I found them the other day in one of my backup files. All of the verses based on the Greek words used in the New Testament on the doctrine of election, I had dozens and dozens of verses. Yes. And we handed them out at the beginning of the debate. Yeah. Uh, so we're we're supposed to believe that all of these verses don't mean what they say. Right. No one's actually chosen before the foundation of the world. This isn't the way it is. God hasn't elected anybody. That is it's just so unbelievable. It's, it's shocking. Right. But so people are because they're going by their emotions rather than by the scripture, which gets us back to Dutch sheets. Yes. He's claiming the Bible doesn't mean what it says objectively with the words written in the Bible. And it means something, the meaning of it will pop up through a process of internal revelation yes and and so let me uh we're probably short on time we're right? yeah we're out of time what do you know we got out of time again <laughs> let me quickly segue then okay he gives uh, this example uh from john five thirty nine. i cited john twelve forty eight. here's the one he cites john five thirty nine. you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, it is these that bear witness of me. John 5, 39. Okay. So, Dutch Sheets reads that, and what he sees in that verse is searching the scriptures is not going to tell you what the Word of God is. Right. But that, that's, if you read John twelve forty eight, Jesus speaks the very Word of God. He's the one Moses wrote about. Yes. He's the eternal Lagos. Yeah. The word. And his words are the very words of God. Whether they're written or spoken, they're still the words of God. Right. Well, in the, the next verse here, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. Right. Again, 
the, the issue is in them. The issue is their unbelief. They're, they're, yeah, the problem is unbelief, not a lack of revelation. Furthermore, Jesus goes on to say, Moses wrote of me. Yes. That's allusion to Deuteronomy, where he says, God will raise up a prophet like me. Listen to him. Yeah. Well, Moses spoke the words of God. Jesus speaks the word of words of God. And you still go back to the very word of God, meaning what it says. Not a secondary experience that will become the revelation. Right. That's a diversion away from the word of God. And it's just another way of having unbelief. Amen. All right. We are out of time for this edition of Critical Issues Commentary Radio. You can access this episode and many others, as well as years worth of articles at the website cicministry.org. While you're there, click on contact and send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. We want to encourage you all to stand firm in one spirit with one mind and strive together for the faith of the gospel. For Critical Issues Commentary, this is Jessica Kramis and Bob DeWay. We'll see you next week.